Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Well, I want to welcome my good friend, Carter Fowler, to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Carter, you've made it. You are an agent of innovation. Baby, we made it. Long time coming. Thanks for having me, Francisco. Thank you. Well, we have a lot of history here between uh, Carter and myself. Uh, great history. And uh, we're making more history today on the Agents of Innovation podcast. So I want to let you guys know uh, that Carter is a lifelong writer whose journalism has been archived in the U.S. Library of Congress. Uh, he also has over nine years of marketing and design experience spanning agency, in-house, and freelance settings. Uh, in 2019, he founded Agile Brand Lab. Do I say that right, by the way? Agile, Agile. Okay. I like to say Agile because I feel like it's a little more Agile. <laughs> so That's a great way to remember it. Yes. See, you're really good with the messaging. <laughs> Agile Brand Lab. Uh, he founded that in 2019. Uh, he says on his website because he loves working with entrepreneurs and realized most of them don't love wrestling with words as much as he does. So uh, outside the office, I know you'll find Carter doing all sorts of adventurous things. <laughs> and we're going to talk about some of those things as well. But, um, you know, Agile uh, Brand Lab is, uh, is really uh, means a lot to me. And for those of you who are familiar with the Fearless Journeys brand, which is a community for aspiring and ascending entrepreneurs that I started that really evolved uh, from the experience of the Agents of Innovation podcast. Mm -hmm. Well, I turned uh, in, in the early days of the pandemic when we were working from home and not traveling and I had a little bit more time on my hands. And I also had been thinking that I was doing all these things on the side. And, you know, I had a few people encourage me to do something entrepreneurial because, gosh, I've got a podcast where I've interviewed at that point, I had interviewed about, I think, 72 uh, episodes or so mm -hmm. of the Agents of Innovation podcast. I think we're now at like 115 here. Wow. So, um, you know, anyway, I had been, been thinking about some of these things. And one of the people I knew to turn to was this man right here, Carter Fowler. So, Carter, um, you know, when, when, you, when I turned to you, there was a couple reasons I did. Mm -hmm. First of all, I, I knew you for a little while. We're going to get into that in a minute. Um, but also you had, prior to me coming to you for what became Fearless Journeys, I had no idea, folks, that I was going to be starting a business. I just knew I had all these things on the side. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, I, I came to you a little bit uh, earlier, a few years earlier, when I was a couple years into Agents of Innovation podcast. Uh, you built me a website, the agentsofinnovation.org website. You also um, helped create some of my social media for a little while during that time. So I knew you had some experience, and that was actually in your earlier days, and I knew you had even grown more and now had a branding agency. Mm -hmm. So turned to you, and we had a wonderful process where we ended up creating a company, um, everything from the messaging, the voice, the design, the logo, all the way through to the name, Fearless Journeys, Chart Your Course. And here we are charting our course, Carter, believe it or not. <laughs> two, more than two years since I contacted you about the uh, about about the branding and, and trying to come up with something. So yeah. uh, anyway, just wanted to say thank you for, for that. And, uh, and I'm really excited to have you and introduce you to uh, my listeners and now viewers on YouTube. Yeah, well, you know, I'm really excited to be here. I love thinking back to that project that we worked on. I mean, one... The timing was just so memorable. It was the early days of the pandemic. 
we, I think those branding sessions were one of my first times interacting with anyone outside of my apartment bubble in a couple of months at that point. So just the context was so memorable. Those early days, everybody remembers what it was like. But I also just love thinking back on that project because I think it's one of, if not the favorite that I've ever done because very rarely do I have the opportunity to work with someone so early in the process. Because when we first began those conversations that led to the development of the Fearless Journeys brand, I think you originally came to me because you were planning an event or something around the 100th episode of the podcast. And you talked about a book too, and all these different kind of components and trying to make them work together. And I have not really had an opportunity to work with an entrepreneur at that nascent stage where they are literally making the decision to found a business from such an early part. And we worked through those Ikigai sessions to just figure out what this business should focus on and what you bring to people that they can't get anywhere else and what you're so great at. So, you know, I really like to think about it as we didn't just build or design a brand. We really designed a business. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, uh, I like that you mentioned the Ikigai. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those who are like, what are you saying, icky guy? Because <laughs> people say that all the time to me. They laugh at me when I tell them that over the phone or something. Yeah. It is a Japanese concept uh, where you search really for your reason for being. Mm-hmm. And it is spelled I-K-I-G-A-I. Yes. And you said, Francisco, I want you to watch this video about about the icky guy concept. And mm-hmm. then we're going to go through the process. And we did for several weeks. Actually, that was our, our first few Zoom sessions, which I don't know, what would you say? They were each about two hours long? Probably about two hours long, each of them. I think we did maybe four of those leading up just to get us to the point where we could begin developing a brand. Yeah. And what's really great is the icky guy and that entire process helped me understand um, my strengths, what I could offer the world, what I thought the world needed Mm-hmm. Uh, and also uh, where that all intersects with how I could make money because I need to get paid for things, right? Yes, yeah, sales may not be the reason you're in business, but it is the reason you will stay in business. Very <laughs> I important. It. I love it. So, yeah, so um, that really brought us, to, and it brought all these things I was doing on the side. You're right. I came to you and I said, okay, like I'm around episode 70-something on my podcast mm-hmm. now. Um I have, I, I didn't, you know, I guess when you start something like a podcast, you don't know how long you're going to do it. Did, I mean, <laughs> do you know, probably most podcasts, there are like hundreds of thousands. I don't know how many podcasts that there are now in the world, maybe millions, but less than uh, like 10%. Um, I might be getting a statistic slightly on, off, uh, get past episode 10. That does not surprise me. I think a podcast is something that very few people spend time thinking about getting to episode 100 Mm -hmm. because there's just so much work that goes into getting it off the ground at the very beginning. And you really just kind of have to adopt that almost, you know, like Nick Saban football mentality of game by game. Like I can't think about 
getting to episode 50 or 100, I need to focus on getting this next episode out and just trying to make it sure it's better than the last one and just focus on the process. Yeah, and a little bit too that I really discovered in my very first episode with Isaac Morehouse was uh, being an entrepreneur, you learn by doing, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to retell this story with Isaac, but basically, you know, I had approached him about, hey, I have this idea for a podcast. He thought it was great. Four or five months later go by, I come back to him and, and say, hey, I, you know what? I need to just get this thing going. I've just been, you know, sitting on the sidelines doing mm-hmm. it. And, uh, and, and can, you know what? Can you be my first guest? And he said, sure. And then he tells me he already started a podcast. He thought my idea was great. He hadn't started one before that, and he was already 10 episodes in. And that was really my first clue that, wow, you know what? Um, this, is, this is what an entrepreneur is. It's a person that takes action and just mm-hmm. does it. So, yeah, you know what? Uh, I love that episode. It's one of my favorites to this day. Isaac's one of my favorite people, one of my favorite uh, guests. That's why I asked him to be on number one, and he came yes. back for another one. But, you know, the audio wasn't the best on that that one because I was just getting it going. Yes, come a long way. Yeah, and now look, we got these beautiful microphones here and professional um, setup. Uh, you know, but uh, Carter, you also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so impressed by you with everything that you're doing. Obviously, when I look at the Fearless Journeys website, you didn't just help build a brand; you built that website too, mm-hmm. and it's really cool. And um, and so anyway, uh, I, I go back though, and I and I and I think about this young man who walked into my office uh, yes. when I was at the James Madison Institute. I was at the time the vice president of advancement, mm-hmm. leading all the fundraising efforts for this public policy think tank in the state of Florida's capital, Tallahassee. And gosh, I really don't want to embarrass you, but <laughs> this young man who you're yes. seeing here, who looks all cool and hip, this day changed my life. <laughs> it really did. He call, he comes <laughs> in wearing a bow tie. Very proper. I mean, look, uh, you should come into an interview, especially as a college student, uh, you know, dressed very professional, which you were. Think tank, too. Yeah, you know, tank. it was very illustrious. It was a uh, great opportunity for Anyway, him. but he comes in like wearing a bow tie. And, you know, you don't really see Had many college square. students. Did you have a pocket yeah, no, square? Of course. Yeah. It was all polished. And you sit there. And a lot of times <laughs> I ask my young uh, interview, uh, you know, the, first of all, what we did at the organization was. The applicants, they go through a process. They have to, I mean, we had a lot of applicants. It was, we had to turn down most of them at this mm-hmm. point, and which was a good, good problem to have as an organization. But the second thing we did was we had them, once they got through the written application, they had to come in and they, they had to go around to three or four people. And, and in part, I'm interviewing them, and in part, I'm selling them on why you should want to work in development and fundraising. And most people walk into a think tank, they want to be the writer, they want to go into policy, you know, yes. all these sorts of things. So fundraising isn't really something um, a lot of people think they want to do. It wasn't something I wanted to do. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so he comes in and some of the questions I asked was, well, you know, like, what, 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 what interests you in this? And what do you see yourself doing in, you know, in the future? And I remember him saying to me, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something like, well, I want to be a politician one day. I think it was one day I'm going to be a U.S. senator. Okay, yeah, even yes. more specific. <laughs> even more specific. And I'll tell you what, folks. Uh, by this time, I had I had had my fill of politics. <laughs> now, some of you who know me don't probably don't yes. think that to this day. Uh, but um, but I literally just looked at this young I don't know twenty year old or whatever he was at the time, and said, you know what, people like you scare me. Yeah. <laughs> And that was literally like within the first couple of minutes of meeting him. Yeah. And you know what? He could have like, I don't know. I feel like maybe I hurt his feelings. Like I thought about it later and I thought, um, 
you know, that was kind of rude of me to say he didn't know me, but it was just, you know, you see enough young people walking in your office and, and then you hear a statement like that. And I felt like it was a bold statement. I just wanted to kind of say something back a little bit bold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, I'll be honest. I think that statement was a, probably a big reason why I ended up interning in development with you as opposed to all the other departments because it was so honest. <laughs> You know, it was just straight to the point. And I really respected that because you don't necessarily expect that level of directness and transparency and just like authenticity when you're walking into a policy think tank next to the Capitol that's in this building that's older than the state of Florida and everybody's wearing suit and ties. So I think that bringing that, you know, saying that was a big reason why I ended up joining you. But I'm not sure if I've ever told you why I set my sights on that as a young man. Because oh, tell me. My, my great uncle uh, was a man named Hugh Scott, and he was the Senate minority whip under Nixon. And he went with Nixon on that very first trip to China to mm. reestablish relations with China. And growing up, I had this little gold coin that had Hugh Scott's face on it and it had the seal of the U.S. Senate. And as a kid, seeing that, you're like, now that's what success looks like. Having your face on a gold coin. That's how you know you made it. Yeah, well, we'll talk to Jesus about that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, no, you're right, though. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I could see how that had an impact on mm-hmm. you. Um, and I also know, um, you know, anyway, Carter, you did a, uh, you did a great job. At, you, you, I, we hired you as an intern. Yes. Um, to this day, we, we like to say that Carter was my, uh, the best intern I've ever had. Although uh, I, I, I hesitate to say that out loud because I had a lot of really great interns and I don't want any of them feeling, you know, like, wait, Francisco, I thought I was your favorite intern. It wasn't favorite. I'm just, I'm just saying best. Like he was a great performer um, at his job. And I remember, so one of the things I started doing with uh, interns was, I, you know, we were, we were reaching a point where we, we, I liked, I had a policy that every single donor needed to be called and thanked. I don't yes. care if they gave us $20 or $10,000. And it just depended on who was calling them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it was the president of the organization or me or another staffer or an intern. So I kind of, you kind of got, you know, more the bottom of the list, but there's a lot of people on the bottom, you know, like $100 donor and less, right? Um, that, that's actually the majority of the people, even though it's not the majority of the number, uh, you know, the qu- quantity of the donation. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times I just ask interns to make a thank you call. And you, it's pretty quick. I mean, I'm fairly quick on the thank you calls myself. You got a list to get through. It's kind of awkward to call somebody. By the way, a lot of people don't even pick up the phone these days, so they just get like a thank you voicemail. Well, I'm walking around the corner one day from where his office was, and he's like having this sweet, pleasant conversation with you know a donor, and it was like it was just so. It sounded like he was talking to his aunt or his grandmother or something, and I was like. When he got off the phone, I said, who are you talking to? Oh, I was calling, you know, this donor. You know, she gave us $50 this year. And, like, you were having, like, a five- or ten-minute conversation, maybe longer, with them. And I was just like, wow, really? Okay, so how about I put you on um, – can you can, – here's a list of people I've been having a hard time getting meetings with. <laughs> yes. Can you try calling them? Because you're really good on the phone, I could just tell. And then he did. And then I started getting meetings with people that I was having a pr- challenge getting meetings with. Mm-hmm. He was getting me meetings. And then we ended up hiring Carter. He, he worked full-time for JMI beyond the internship. And he was continuing to schedule meetings and things like that and do other things as well. But I remember walking into offices of donors 
And I can remember one specifically. I won't say their name. But you'll know who I'm talking about. And the woman there was like, oh, hi, Francisco. Nice to meet you. How's Carter doing? You know, and, and then started asking, oh, did he end up taking that trip to Germany? Or like, you know, it was like something very specific. And I was like, wow, he is really knows how to build relationships like over the phone. Like these people haven't even met. So you have a great skill set. I knew it from the beginning. You're very personable. You've got a great outlook. Um, and unfortunately, I cried the day you came to my office and said, Francisco, I got an opportunity for, with an organization based in Washington, D.C., and I always tell people, get the hell out of Washington, D.C. as fast as you can, but <laughs> go ahead and get the experience. Uh, anyway, uh, you had a great experience there, but I believe that was with another policy-based organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got out of that whole entire industry, I guess I could say. Tell me the turn towards what you did next. Yeah, well, I was working in communications uh, at the Moving Picture Institute. That was the next organization I moved on from. and. Had been working there for a little while, and I loved doing development work and fundraising. It came very easily to me. I've always, I mean, building relationships is just how I view life. So it never really felt like work. And I guess that was probably one aspect of why I was eager to try my hand at something new, because it just felt so easy and it didn't seem like things should be that easy earlier in your career. I felt like I really wanted to challenge myself. At the time I had, I knew a friend up in DC who was the CEO at a marketing agency and he approached me to see if I would be willing to join them as their director of strategy. And this was a big new area for me. I had spent so much time building these soft skills in fundraising and working with people that doing something where you can track the metrics of success directly and immediately from all of your efforts sounded really intriguing to me because as you know with fundraising, someday you'll work all week and you won't get anything from it and then you'll wake up one morning like late on a monday and a ten thousand dollar check will roll in and you hadn't even done anything today mm-hmm. so it can be kind of disconnected between the inputs days. and the outputs <laughs> yeah so i ended up joining this company it also helped that you know washington dc is a very expensive place and it was nice to be making a private sector salary up there at that point so I uh, joined this company as their director of strategy. We mostly specialized in SEO and web development, helping people build awesome websites and get traffic onto them. And so I figured that was a really valuable skill that could provide me a lot of opportunity and security moving forward in my life. Because if you know how to build a website and get people onto the website, no matter the topic, that's just something that just about anyone could use. Yeah. So, Carter, uh, before we move forward on your journey, yes, uh, I want to go back. Mm-hmm. Before I knew you, uh, what was your first job in life? And also, uh, I should say, you grew up in Kennesaw, Georgia? I did grow up in Kennesaw, Georgia, yeah, yes. ju- For those that don't know, a little bit just outside Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, what was your first job in life? Yeah, so I grew up in... Kennesaw, Marietta, Georgia, which is on the north side of Atlanta. And my first true W-2 job as an employee was actually at Chick-fil-A. And 
it did not take very long working at Chick-fil-A before they figured out the best place in the restaurant for me, which was the drive-through headset. Just queuing back into these phone conversations yes, with donors, sure. I suppose. So I had so much fun having conversations with folks through this headset at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> uh, you know, I can it's, only it's a great day at Chick-fil-A. This is Carter. How may I help you? Just I was just having so much fun because when your head and face is detached from it and you're just a voice, you can engage people in such delightful ways. So I really loved my time at Chick-fil-A, but in another sense... So I got that job when I was 16, just after I was able to drive myself to work. But in another sense, I had a job that was earlier. It just wasn't really a W-2. Uh, my father is a serial entrepreneur. He is particularly with real estate development. And this man throughout my childhood must have bought, renovated, flipped at least 15 houses. And so as a preteen and even younger, he would oftentimes pay me or my friends some money to do all these grunt work at these houses that he didn't want to do. I remember a friend of mine and myself when we were about 12 years old, I think he paid us a hundred bucks to go into this house that he'd bought dirt cheap. That was just infested with roaches and mm -hmm. bug bomb the whole thing and get all of those out and gave us a hundred bucks for that afternoon. So just doing a lot of work in and around his business on all these little side projects for cash uh, was a big part of it. And I guess now that I think about it, going even further back, I don't know if we consider this a job, but it's something that was very formative that my dad did for me to help me build an entrepreneurial mindset, which he would give me these books. I think the very first one was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I mm. think Fearless Journeys is having a we, book yeah, discussion as on we, soon. As, you, uh, as you as I record this, we're finishing up that book for yes. the Fearless Journeys book club. Yeah, so the first one is Rich Dad, Poor Dad. We also did Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and How to Win Friends and Influence People. And so he would give me these books and he would pay me a dollar per page if I read them out loud to him. And so I guess that was kind of my first job, if you would consider that a job. It was my first way of making decent money as a kid. Wow. And so that probably started about 10 years old. We worked through all of those books. It took a lot of time, but it was a sweet deal for me. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, in these Cuban cigar factories, especially, you know, 100 years ago, they would have uh, somebody that would sit up as these people were rolling their cigars. And, you know, it's very intricate work. They would have somebody up at the... Uh, they called them a lectura. Mm. They were a reader. They would read articles, magazines, newspapers, books. And these people were getting very well educated while they were. So, um, you know, I wonder, uh, you know, I need, I need, I was just thinking, you know, Carter, if, uh, if your services are still available while I'm smoking a cigar, you know, I could use somebody <laughs> just to read me some. No, no, but I mean, like, it's almost like an audible book, right? You were like your dad's audible book. But uh, anyway, but he, what he was really doing was he's, he was really having you read. It wasn't really about him. Yeah. And uh, it was a way to make sure that I was <laughs> reading it word by word and not skipping ahead because I loved to read so much as a kid and I would fly through these books because I just couldn't wait to get to the next one. And uh, it was a way of slowing me down and he would pause me pretty often and have make me talk about it with a conversation. I always got frustrated at that because I wasn't getting paid for that time. Uh, but nonetheless, I internalized a lot of really important lessons from those books. That's great. Age. By the way, something you and I have in common, but it was a little bit later in life for me. Uh, and it wasn't at the 
wonderful Chick-fil-A, but it was at Taco Bell that I did the same <laughs> type of job when I was in my first semester of college at UCF. Mm-hmm. I was also put on the drive-thru, and it was yes. enjoyable. But it, I can't imagine what it must have been like for the listeners in that drive-thru to hear from Carter Fowler, <laughs> considering uh, everything I know. Um, but anyway, so Carter, you moved on, and um, then you know you got these web skills, you learned about SEO, all these things. Mm-hmm. What was your next step on your journey? Did, did you, when did, did you, uh, so you were working for someone at that point. I was, yeah. When did you, did you branch out? Did you start doing things on the side? I, I'm trying to remember what the transition was. I did, yeah. Toward the end of my time at the agency, um, I began doing some freelance work on the side. And there came a point when I was just ready to strike out and, Try, try it on my own. I felt like I had built some great skills that are incredibly marketable for just about anybody and wanted to give it a go myself. I think this is probably a common story you hear from a lot of entrepreneurs. I was listening to the last episode with Steve Cesari and he said pretty much the same thing, which was, you know, you work at these companies for a little while and you start getting frustrated because you feel like there are some better ways to do things. And you see those ways very clearly. And you just start thinking, well, you know, if I was, I was in charge, this would all be going a lot better, I know for sure. And oftentimes that's not always the case because it's a very complex. But still, my, my mindset was there. And so I began doing freelance work, mostly around SEO, just because I knew that really, really well. Uh, building websites for folks. This was the time when I built that initial Agents of Innovation website. But as I was doing this freelance work for folks, I started to notice a common theme. And I think the seed of this might have even been planted for me earlier on when I was working at the agency. And, you know, people would come to me, they would want to rework their Google ads or up their SEO or get a new website up or improve their existing website because they wanted some you know, some kind of gains for their business, of course. But I began to realize that all of this were really just kind of short-term solutions. What these companies lacked was a true North Star, like identity for themselves of exactly who they are and what their perspective is and Mm -hmm. their position in the marketplace. And oftentimes they would be trying, they would be deciding what their messaging should focus on by running Google ads and seeing what people clicked on the most. And again, that's like a decent tactic to getting a higher return on Google ads, but it's a short term race that you're running here because you're not being true to yourself and you're not focusing on what makes you different in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So as I worked with all these companies, I began to realize that really what they needed was a more in-depth strategy for positioning their brand on a fundamental level. And then once you get that in place, then you can start to worry about all the marketing and the design. But without that structure underneath, long-term success and you know, when, when you get that structure, you start getting this like exponential return on your investment. It's kind of like compound interest because people love consistency in messaging and consistency in what you're talking about and what you specialize in. And if you're just trying to figure out what to talk about along the way as you market your business, 
people aren't getting that repeat message and you're not building on everything that you've done each month. You're just kind of trying to find your way as you go. Yeah, that's good. So um, at this point, you're, you now moved back at that point, I should say, you moved back to uh, the Atlanta, Georgia area. Yes. Yeah, I had moved. I had left D.C. I was up there for a f- maybe about six months after I left the agency. And, you know, as as a new entrepreneur, I just had a bigger network in Atlanta. My family is, you know, eight generations deep in Marietta, Georgia. And a lot of my friends were still around there and just folks I knew. And it was a cheaper place to live. So it was provided me a bit more flexibility as I was getting my own venture off the ground. So I freelanced down there for a couple of years until I kind of had this realization of what people really needed, all these people I was working with. And that was the reason that I founded my company. So Agile Brand Lab, Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit more, uh, who are the kind of people you service? I mean, I know you've told us a little bit about trying to get to the core of, of what people need to do when they're their me- the messaging and their mm-hmm. companies and who they are and all that. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the kinds of people you're servicing. Maybe there's some people listening right now that could use your services. Uh, tell us what Agile Brand Lab does. Yeah, so what we do is we develop charismatic brands for really most of our customers kind of break down into two categories. Um, some are startup founders, just like yourself. Those are the projects that I love working on the most because I love working with other entrepreneurs and other founders directly, especially very early stage, because I think that so much of the foundational work we do in this brand strategy and developing your messaging is very core to business strategy. And so the earlier you do this, the more helpful it is you start getting that compound rate or that compound return on your investment. So we do it a lot for these startups, and we also work with businesses, established businesses who are ready to make the step to becoming an admired brand. So how we do all of this, we do um, handle design work, you know, building your website, your logo, your identity, pitch decks. We do pitch decks a lot, but none of that matters. I can't guarantee any results on any of that unless we get the words right first. Because ultimately, it's words that sell things. Great design is great. You know, a great product is important. Customer service, all these are parts of a successful business. But if the words aren't right and the words aren't in place, then traction is just going to be more difficult. And so, you know, I can build you the most beautiful website in the world, but if it's not filled with words that sell, I can't guarantee you any outcomes that that website is going to create. And I don't like asking people to invest in things where I can't guarantee outcomes. It just doesn't feel right to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's great. I mean, just from my experience with I, the story I relate earlier about mm-hmm. where we got to at Fearless Journeys, I mean, that's, that's how we got there because we started in a very deep process of trying to figure out you know, first as Francisco, the startup CEO, what is what what is his what is his brand? What is what is what are his strengths? What mm-hmm. can he offer the world? You know, how can he get paid for bringing things of value to people? Yeah, right. And and so you you put all that at the intersection, 
And then as you described, you know, we went through, I mean, in those days, first of all, we were, uh, we were separated because we lived uh, as well geographically apart, right? Yes. But also, you know, during the pandemic, people were uh, all, you know, working remote at this point in the very early days. Um, we ended up a few months later. I mean, it's a couple months into this process that I ended up, you know, we wanted to be in the room together for two mm-hmm. days to, f- to finalize the sessions. And we did that. And we brought in a couple other people yes. um, in, in that knew me and that mm-hmm. they were there for kind of specific reasons. Uh, and that was really fantastic because I was also able to get some outside feedback from just me and you. Yeah. And what you're describing there, that's probably my favorite part of the job. I love running the workshops. I mean, we do really in-depth discovery beforehand. And again, we build and design all of this great, all these great assets after the fact. But the workshop where we're together in one room and we're focused and we go through all these exercises that build on each other one by one through this framework is my favorite part. There's just an energy that is so satisfying and there you know, it can get quite emotional for people at times <laughs> during this. And I mean that in a really great way because, you know, you might remember this one particular exercise, which would have been almost impossible for us to do if we just sat down and tried to do it. We could only do it because we had done six or seven exercises that built up to this. And that was the differentiation statement, mm-hmm. you know, where we boiled it down to what can you say? Like Fearless Journeys is the only blank that blanks for this type of person because we believe this Mm -hmm. and really boiling it down into a statement that only you can say like what is something that none of your competitors can say only you can say this thing it makes you terminally unique it's a very difficult thing to do and most business owners if you ask them what makes them what's something they can say about their business absolutely no one else could say they really struggle but that's Mm -hmm. important Especially in today's day and age, you know, we're in the most attention poor society probably ever in human history. There's so much information. Except for all the people that are still listening. Yes. (laughs) There's so much information out there, so little time, so many distractions that being able to communicate what makes you different in a very succinct way is incredibly valuable. And it's quite complicated to get to that point of simplicity. So, yeah, well, you know, again, I'm, I'm bragging on Carter a little bit. Uh, I wasn't paid to be his salesman here, but I do have to say <laughs> that process was, it was fun. It was engaging. It pushed me. I mean, it was, um, and you know, you're, you've got a great personality for it too. Yes. And you knew me going into it. So I think for me, it was also, um, you know, that could also work against you, though, by the way, if somebody that it knows can. you too much, right? Uh, so, but I think the fact of the matter is you, you you knew kind of where to lead me, but we were going there together. It wasn't like you were, you knew where we were going. Mm-hmm. It was just trying to, you know, bounce ideas off, bring in other voices as well that would mm-hmm. that would help encourage me and bring in other perspectives. And in one sense, I didn't know where we were going because... You, one of the core tenets of this process is seeking answers rather than creating them. Yeah. But in another sense, I did know where we were going because we use this framework every single time. It's very reliable and it, you know, I like to think about it as bomb proof. Like we use it for every project. 
and it's just a surefire way to get to the end. And if you need even something like a name, which we did for Fearless Journeys, I remember you looking at the agenda before we started this workshop and looking at day three and saying, we just, we're going to name the company in 40 minutes. I don't think that's enough time to do that. <laughs> but we weren't naming the company in 40 minutes. We were building to that through all of these exercises and it doing these fundamental core exercises at the very beginning of the workshop is what allows you to make decisions like that and feel validated that it's the right choice because we create all of these metrics to evaluate our decisions by in this framework. Yeah. And, you know, like, um, obviously I, I mentioned, you know, we went through a lot of sessions on zoom. We did mm -hmm. the icky guy. We did a lot of other things, but you also, you know, in between those sessions would send me, you know, emails or surveys or, you know, little questionnaires to fill out, um, asking me specific things. Um, and then you showed me ahead of time what the itinerary that was going to look like on, mm -hmm. during the days that we had scheduled in person in Atlanta. Um, so that was great. But yeah, I remember looking at the, you know, the schedule and going, yeah, like you just said, 40 minutes to put a name. And then we actually had the name on the board. Uh -huh. We had, folks, we had fearless journeys. I think we got it up there in about 10 minutes yeah. into that exercise. But, you know, even when you come up with something, and I've done this now so many times, and oftentimes you come up with it and you have a hunch. You're like, I think that's going to be the one. But you still got to come up with more yeah. to make sure that it is the one. And so, you know, we ended up coming up with what? Probably like 30 different ideas for names and then... Yeah, I don't Stick know. We, we did like have five. some other names. Yeah. And we had, and then we had the motto and the motto was up there, chart your course. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I tell people, you know, I walked out of there that day, like I'm a hundred percent with chart your course. Like I love that. There was nothing that, you know, that was going to be different about mm -hmm. that because I really felt like that was it. The fearless journeys. I just was like, I just thought it sounds too simple. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. It just, sounds, it just, how did we get there? And then, Let you know, I, tell you, I get that all the time for people in this process. We get to a point where we craft some like core piece of messaging and they're like, that's just, it can't be that simple. <laughs> it's, I've been working on this for so long. I think about it all the time and I've never been able to put it in words like that. And there's this resistance that you get even when you just come up with like the brand positioning statement mm -hmm. people oftentimes are like yeah i don't know i gotta think about this it's just so straightforward and you know i think just like with the name you sit with it for a little while and you're like no this is just and now to be <laughs> honest with you you know that was a little over two years ago uh -huh. just almost exactly that we walked out of those branding sessions and it's hard for me, it's probably hard for many, almost everybody that knows me mm -hmm. to not think of Fearless Journeys being associated with me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, it, that's only two years. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we actually didn't even launch the company until about almost exactly, a little over a year ago. Um, so anyway, um, uh, and, and, and to be honest with you, what's also cool is that you know, we got, I know why we got there because we had, you know, you talk about what voice and yeah. So I can walk through like the early part of the framework if you're in, in the workshop. So we begin first by coming up with the core attributes. So what are the three words that describe the voice that we want this brand to have? What are the three words that we want the feeling of this brand to create in people? What three words describe the value it creates? What three words describe the audience? 
So we end up just putting a bunch of words on this and then trimming it down to three. Then the very next thing that we do is customer profiles because you have to begin thinking from your customer's perspective as soon as possible. And so we dive really deep into their psychography. What keeps these people awake at night? What are they hopeful for? What frustrates them every day? Diving into those questions. And then once you have those guiding attributes, those kind of core principles of the brand and the customer personas, then we can begin scaling things into, you know, scaling up into things that are a little bit more tangible. Uh, we go into the brand philosophy where we talk about our unique point of view. We have a session where we archetype the brand. And now, you know, the framework has changed and innovated. We've innovated on it uh, even since that workshop with you. And so now we have a lot, many more exercises that focus specifically on words, defining exactly what the problem is that this brand, that our customers face, what the, what stakes they're facing if they don't solve this problem, what our solution is, what the outcomes of that solution is, you know, and it scales up and just continues to build like a wall until we get to the point of, you know, if they need a name, the name just becomes very evident and very clear what it should be. Or the tagline, you practically write it 20 times throughout the workshop. So mm -hmm. then when the time comes to pick one, it's not really about writing one. It's just about picking the right words because we've already got all the words up there. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I know we're talking a lot here about namings of companies, mottos, things like that. And it's not really, it's not really just about that. It's not even really that much about that. It's really more about, I mean, the words that you're going to use that are even beyond that every time you talk yes. about your brand or talk to mm. people about your brand. Yeah. Um, how, how, like you said, how does... Like how you pitch your brand. Yeah. How you talk about the problem you create for consumer or that you solve for consumers. Hopefully you're not creating a oh, yeah, problem. Hopefully not creating. You might be solving problems that your competitors create. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's about how you sell because like I was saying earlier, you know, you might not be in business to make sales, but sales are what's going to keep you in business and you have to have the right words. Uh, you want people to self-select. That's the whole objective of this is to make it so that you practically don't have to sell. Your words are precise and focused enough that people hear it and they say, oh, I need that. Mm -hmm. That's for me. There is no pitching. There's no selling. There's no persuading. You explain it and you're simple and clear enough that the right folks hear it and say, Wow, yeah, I need that. So what's great, Carter, is you're an entrepreneur um, who basically helps other entrepreneurs. Yes. <laughs> and you're helping to build, help them build their brand. So it's, it's kind of, must be interesting to be part of like a startup process in a sense over and over and over again. Yeah, I'll tell you what, and this is why I know how valuable this work is for others because it is almost impossible to do for yourself. <laughs> Even myself who, you know, I do this as a living. Running this process and developing all the messaging and the core values and the philosophy and then summing all of that up into those like very focused nodes at the end of like the tagline or your value proposition. Doing that for our own company, it's a process that takes at least three or four months and we're mm. pros. Doing it how most entrepreneurs 
work is if they don't do something like this, they spend three to four years trying to figure out what messaging and what, what messaging resonates with their audience, who their audience is in the first place, and exactly what their unique point of view is. They just do it through trial and error over years. And so really what our value proposition is, look, like you're going to get there sooner or later if, if, you're, you know, if your business makes it into year two or three, not all do. But if it does, like by year three or four, you'll get there. Or we could get there together in 30 days right mm. now and just shorten that entire scale to viability, basically. So people find you, they, they may hire you like I did to, mm -hmm. um, to run sessions, maybe to do, you offer other products, like maybe it's building a website, maybe it's running social media, yeah. all these sorts of things. But also now, you know, your time is, you only have so much of it, Carter. It's true. All these true. entrepreneurs out here are like demanding your <laughs> services. So I've heard that you now have an e-course. Yes. Tell us about the e-course and how people and what, what kind of benefits that would provide for people. Yeah. Well, I mean, what you were just talking about, you only have so much time. It's true. And when you're working in a model where your outputs equal your, you know, are related to your inputs directly, it's hard to scale. Like there's no leverage there. And so you need to introduce leverage into your business model. And there are four major kinds of leverage. I think I can remember them off the top of my head right now. So we have labor, which is other people. Um, hiring folks. Mm -hmm. We have automation or software, basically getting robots to do the work. We have media, which is what this podcast is. This is a form of leverage. And then the last is capital. Uh, so, you know, you need to figure out some combination, ideally multiple versions of this, to get leverage so that you introduce additional income streams so that you're not just working on this inputs to outputs model. So what we're doing, yeah, we're in the final stages of finalizing our very first e-course. It's essentially a do-it-yourself version of this exact brand development process that you and I went through for Fearless Journeys. Mm -hmm. Of course, at a much lower cost rate or price point, um, we it is still somewhat involved because it's a very complicated process and you wanna make sure people do it effectively. So. We still have some coaching involved in it. We have a kickoff call and we have a call about halfway through all of the exercises to make sure you're on course and to help you if you're struggling with any of the specific messaging. Then we have a call at the end where we help you think about, okay, now that we've developed this brand platform, how's this going to look on a website? You know, how do I begin doing that? But really this e-course is made for all of the people out there who all the entrepreneurs who you know have more time than money not all entrepreneurs there are a lot of entrepreneurs especially more experienced entrepreneurs that money is the money is the premium or i'm sorry time, time is the premium yeah. they don't have much time and so they're like yeah shortening my curve from 4 years to 30 days that's great i'll pay whatever it takes you know that's perfect but some other folks, whether they're bootstrapping a business, they're a young entrepreneur, still early in their career, or maybe it's a side hustle of theirs, um, they don't have much capital to invest in this. And sometimes with these young entrepreneurs, there's also this feeling of, I need to, I need to earn it. 
You know, I it can't I can't come easily. Like I need to struggle for a little while. It needs to be hard because I want to feel like I've really earned these fruits and taken my knocks and learned my lessons. So for these folks, this is a great option because I always end up helping them in one way or another just because I like talking with entrepreneurs about all this stuff and working through strategy and positioning naturally. So this is a great option for them at a much lower price point. It's probably going to be less than $500. And they can work through it. It takes about two weeks. And at the end of it, they end up with their full brand platform, all the core messaging, the key attributes of the brand that define the voice and the feeling and the value, your positioning statement, your tagline, everything else. Um, you do it all yourself with our help. So now instead of this model of, we do it together, which is what you and I did. Now this is kind of more of like a Home Depot model. Like you can do it and we can help. <laughs> nice. Uh, very good. Well, Carter, I know you've also got some other projects you've done or are even involved with on the side. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about Central Sauce. Yeah, so Central Sauce is actually the first company that I started. Um, that was, I, I might have even, no, I think that was just after I left the marketing agency. At the time, I was just looking for an opportunity to really have a real life case study almost of my ability to build a website and put and get traffic on it. And so I thought, and also I'm a great writer. So I was like, well, how can I combine these things into a company here? Um, and so I founded Central Sauce, which is a music media collective uh, focusing on music journalism. I began the site, built it all myself. I originally, I was the only writer. I was putting up a post at least every day, sometimes more than that, just trying to get that initial traction so that we would get to the point where we had, you know, at least a thousand people on the website every single day, regardless mm. of what I did through SEO. Over time, I kind of pivoted that business model to make it more decentralized um, and more communal. And so now we have a bunch of different journalists and content creators and just creatives in general all affiliated with the business doing what they're passionate about uh, we have a podcast it's called in search of sauce that i came up with the concept for and launched and now the team is running with it and doing a great job we have awesome website great interview series uh, so that and actually central sauce was an article I wrote for them was what got me into the U.S. Library of Congress. Oh, actually. very good. Well, congratulations. I was writing about one of my favorite artists named Earth Gang from Atlanta. And this long-form kind of, I guess, bio piece about their story got picked hmm. up by the Library of Congress. And they emailed me asking if it would be okay if they included my work in their web archives hmm. for American journalism. And I don't think they've ever received an email back f to an email like that that didn't say yes. <laughs> <You know>? so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a pretty no-brainer for me, and that was a really that was a really big day. Uh, so I did Central Sauce for a while. Now I don't do all that much with Central Sauce. The team mostly maintains it, uh, but I'm also working on a book at the mm. at the moment. It's still pretty early stages, but again, it's going to be kind of a book packaging of this e-course and of this framework that we do. So an even lower cost point for certain folks who know they need help with their messaging. They know it could be simpler. It could be more clear. 
uh, and they've never really taken the time to put that thought, that deep thought into their brand strategy and their positioning. And so this book will be available to help them go through that at, you know, a much, much lower, like 20 bucks. Well, that's great. Um, well, also, uh, I know you're part of an interesting project for a Web3 blockchain company that you're now a co-owner in. Yeah. Um, can you yeah. tell us about this and maybe like as quick as you can explain <laughs> to people what the heck blockchain is? Yeah. How much time do we got? Uh, there's a lot. So you, there's a phrase that you hear all the time when people talk about Web3 and blockchain and when their story with it and they say, you know, I came across this enlightening piece of content, media, whatever. It made me realize the potential here. And then I went down the proverbial rabbit hole. <laughs> you hear people say this phrase all the time. And honestly, it's pretty accurate. And so I'll try to keep it simple for you. The company we're working with right now is called Refine, R-F-Y-N. Uh, however, we're probably going to rename the company pretty soon. Uh, because as a result, you know, we went through this brand development process, came up with all this other stuff around it and realized, well, all of this clicks so well, but the name wasn't designed mm. with all of this kind of thought infrastructure in place. So Web3 blockchain is basically a giant supercomputer that is spread all around the world. This is the blockchain. And it is a way, I mean, it the... Utilities are enormous. You probably know it primarily associated with crypto currency, Bitcoin. I know you spent some time on Bitcoin Beach. Um, you know, there's all kind of other coins out there. So that's this DeFi area, decentralized finance. And there are several other areas too. You'd hear people talk about the metaverse now. Um, that's a really big area. A lot of people are doing interesting things in that space. But what Refine specializes in is NFTs and token technology. So this whole Web3 space, the reason why it's called Web3 is it's the next big advancement in the internet. So you remember the early stages of the internet when everything was pretty much just like, almost like a magazine. Mm -hmm. That's what websites were. It was, they were really just publishing platforms. So that was Web1. That was the initial AOL, phase. Prodigy. Let's yes. see, what was before? I think it was Prodigy was the first time. You probably don't even know what that is. I have no idea what the <laughs> hell Prodigy is. I remember <laughs> being around 7th or 8th grade. Uh-huh. I'm not sure you were born yet. And, and uh, yeah, I'm over at my friend's house on, like, a Sunday. Yeah. And he says, oh, hey, let's look and see what the uh, the top 25, you know, college football rankings mm -hmm. are. And mm -hmm. I was like... It's Sunday. Those don't come out till Monday in the newspaper. It's like, no, no, no. It's on the internet now. Yeah. Someone go, published it. The what? The internet? <laughs> what is the internet? I oh, think wow. I mean, so that's, that's how my, you found out about that was your first encounter with the internet. That was my first, like, what, like, you know, that's ever amazing. realization that I can remember what the internet was. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, he pull, goes to his computer. I believe it was Prodigy, which was uh -huh. like pre AOL. And. There it is. He's got the rankings. And in my mind, I was just blown. Like, how are the rankings available on Sunday? Like, they just uh -huh. played the games yesterday. And, and they, yeah. it's not the Monday newspaper yet. Anyway. It's wild. So the beginnings of the internet, that's what I remember. It was kind of like a magazine. Yeah, exactly. Newspaper. And I mean, even that, like, from before, that was a game changer. Yeah. Like, just the ability to publish things that anyone could see immediately. I mean, the football rankings is a very, you know, it's maybe seemingly trivial example, but... The ability to publish things on the internet like that, one-way communication, changed the world. It created a massive boom in the economy. 
all kind of companies and entrepreneurs. I mean, it just fundamentally changed mm -hmm. society. So then about 20 years later, Web 2 comes along, the next phase of the internet, and that is this social era that we're in now. That's what we're on right now. We're on Web 2. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Web 2 is, you know, like, like Twitter, Instagram. So it was it revolved around these communities, right? And now all of a sudden it wasn't just you had to have your own website to publish content. You could pu people were creating platforms for other people to publish content. And so mm -hmm. the users were creating content. And that I mean, we don't even have to talk about, I mean, that exploded. The, I mean, the world has never been the same. Mm -hmm. People spend all day on social media. A lot of people make a career off of social media. So Web3, there's going to be a shift just as dramatic uh, from like just publishing to social media or even pre-internet to Web1, just as dramatic as Web3 is implemented everywhere. Should we be scared? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I mean, when you hear that, it definitely is a little nerve wracking. And I remember having the thoughts, too, when I was coming across all this stuff. I was like, I don't know about all of this, uh, you know, virtual reality. You start thinking about how quickly and dramatically life as you know it could change. Something so that it can really be a little unsettling at times. But the more you learn about it, the more excited you get, the less nervous mm -hmm. you are and the more excited you are. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a couple of years ago, Elon Musk was on Joe Rogan's podcast, mm -hmm. and they were going deep down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Of, uh, do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes. They were talking about AI. Uh -huh. Wasn't that the interview where they, like, very famously smoked yes. the blunt, too? Yeah. yeah, that's true, too. So that, <laughs> you know, we should put that, we should put an asterisk on some of the stuff they said, possibly. But no, I mean, Elon Musk is a very bright, intelligent guy, yeah. and just his mind goes to places that a, a, a very few people's do right in terms of mm -hmm. the implications and the thoughts and anyway so yeah they were talking about ai and you know uh elon musk said he realized you know 10 years ago or something before this podcast that we should not open the ai like door because if we do there will be no going back for humanity mm -hmm. and then he realized that we went through the door yeah. And we went down the rabbit hole, and most people don't realize it yet, but that we're way, we're already too far. And he kind of <laughs> described it like the machines are going to take over, and you know, in our minds, we think of uh, you know Terminator things, things like Terminator yeah. or th or the Matrix or like I don't know all these crazy uh, sci-fi movies. That, but you know, there's a, there's another element of that. Um, but anyway, but I think what he said is, uh, and I think others have said this. Maybe maybe he added to it. Uh, you know there's going to be this this place where we have to um humanity mm -hmm. you're like what makes us human versus what makes us machine for example and actually i just saw i just heard elon talking about this the other day about something he was talking about people that have actually joe rogan was talking about it i think he was citing elon people that have um maybe they, they they're paralyzed mm-hmm but if they just if like a if like a machine goes in and fixes one thing, that person could walk again, yeah. right? And we're not that far from that. This is what some people think, but it's kind of like the Terminator. At what point do you stop that? And where, at what point are you no longer human, or how much of a percentage of you are human? Yeah. Anyway, Carter, we're going down the rabbit hole. I mean, this is the way it goes. <laughs> Anytime you dive into this stuff, and I mean, we could probably do an entire separate episode just about Web3 and blockchain. Uh, but, you know, 
the the reality of the situation is there is no stopping this technology moves way faster than any regulator or any politician can move and ultimately it's not computers that are inventing all this it's people just like us right and they're doing it and it's not all so outlandish and far-fetched like the company that we're that we've worked with and now as a result of this brand development taking some equity in and uh, are becoming more involved as their brand advisors refine they have their cto is one of the top blockchain engineers in the entire world this mm. guy is like a rock star and they have some really interesting patents and new technology that you can do with nfts and i'm not are you familiar with nfts at all yes, do you know yes. what an nft mm -hmm. is so right now up until this point nfts have mostly been like images mm -hmm. right it's like a jpeg and they try and they sell it because you can now like own this jpeg you hear people talk all the time about like oh well it's just a jpeg why would i buy that you know it and a lot of times people explain that with this analogy of well you could take a picture of the mona lisa but you, that doesn't mean that you own the mona lisa so like owning this nft even though if other people could just right click save your jpeg technically this means that you are the owner of it mm -hmm. but that's what they've been up till now these like static assets that are really speculative in nature and value what refine has done with this technology is they've completely changed the applications for this. So it's no longer static, it's dynamic. So, and it's also not really meant to be sold, it's meant to be given away. And so mm. I think, let me give you an example of this, it'll probably be easier. So you, your fearless journeys, you create an NFT, you create your first token. At Refine we call them a relationship token. So you create your relationship token. Now, you can put initially whatever you want in it. Maybe it's a discount code for the next group trip to Guatemala, mm -hmm. like 20% off. It's access to all of your newsletters. It's an ac and access to exclusive content like behind-the-scenes footage, um, whatever you want, whatever kind of stuff that you think would add value to people. Then you don't sell it. You just put, you have a QR code and anyone can scan that and claim your token for free. Now you have a direct permanent line of communication with those people. It's almost like email if there were no email filters and you weren't competing in an oversaturated inbox. Yeah. So you can now use this channel that's created with the token to communicate in both ways directly between you and that person now you're no longer relying on a third-party platform like Twitter, Instagram that could deplatform you or has content restrictions. And you can drip value to these folks and build deeper relationships with your audience in a brand new way. So a lot of the practical applications for this, we're not saying that you're going to be doing totally new things you're just going to be doing the things that brands are already doing, but in a smarter, more secure way that you actually own the relationship. So That's you give well, this seems... token away and you can just update it over time and add yeah. things to it and drip people value. It's really, really interesting stuff. Well, it seems like uh, in addition to the, um, you know, everything you're doing with branding yeah. and all that, and this is like, you know, a, a, a neat innovative space to get into regardless uh -huh. of that but yeah. it seems like it, it, it's very well um 
joined in some ways, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason why it makes so much sense is if you listen to any of the thought leaders in the Web3 space, they'll tell you the number one thing holding this technology back from going mainstream is the messaging. The words are very exclusive. Mm -hmm. It's very daunting to outsiders. It seems unapproachable, super complicated. And this project to building the messaging for this company was by far the most challenging messaging project I have ever done because <laughs> it is this abstract, complicated technology that doesn't exactly have any like-for-like -like comparisons in the real world. And simplifying all of that, you know, it's all built around these terms that are created by engineers, not marketers or, you know, so this space is just filled with all this very complicated language and it takes you hours and hours and hours to figure out just where you're standing, much less where you want to go. Yeah. And so we realized that this market is a really great place for our work because ultimately all these companies are doing things that are, you know, amazing products that have chance of transforming the world as we know it but they just can't explain it to normal people yeah. it's really complicated yeah it's very it's very challenging well i'm glad you're in that space you're able to explain it but able to help the folks explain it yeah to, to other people. But <laughs> if you have uh, any questions i can't promise you that i can answer them all but feel free to hit me up on instagram or linkedin or shoot me an email and i will do my best to help you <laughs> and where can people find you yeah so uh I, you can find me primarily Instagram, um, Carter Fowler. Uh, our website is agilebrandlab.com. I'm on Twitter. I don't go on there all that often. You've also got an Instagram for Agile Brand Lab, Yes, right? we have an Instagram for Agile Brand Lab. And I really recommend check out our website because we have a bunch of free eBooks on mm -hmm. the website that are designed to, I mean, it's all free. And each one of these is dedicated to a different part of very essential component of your brand, right? So there's one all about how to create your own tagline with information, helpful tips, and exercise templates. You know, how to speak to your ideal customer's needs, how to pitch, how to simplify your pitch. We have all these free resources on our website that we just give away. Great. And so check those out. And, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube or listening on Apple or Spotify or whatever platforms, uh, all this information, including Carter's website, will be in the show notes. And while you're there, don't forget to like the video, subscribe, share, comment, uh, review, whatever platform you're on. I'd love to, love to hear your comments about what you're thinking about this episode or even about the Agents of Innovation podcast in general. Now, Carter and I are both big readers Yes, yes, and, um, yes. I see my book over there on the floor. Uh, maybe <laughs> someone can grab it for me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, but Carter, um, this is this is one book um, that you recommended to me mm -hmm. maybe two years ago. I think and I've been reading it for two days before I thought about you. He's like, this is a great book. Yeah, for and this is this is by Og Mandino. <laughs> it's a classic bestseller called The Greatest Salesman in the World. And by the way, um, when you first told me about this book, mm -hmm. I was like, so here's what, here's what this book encompasses, Carter. Yeah. Right? There's 10 scrolls. So mm -hmm. there's like a little introductory story, very small. This, this book is very short. 
Haha, but don't let that be deceiving. Because no, you're going to spend a long time. You're yeah. going to spend a long time with this book. Uh-huh. There are ten scrolls. They're each about five pages each, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then Carter tells me, "Well, this is a book that you really um, you're going to spend like a year with." And I was like, "A year? It doesn't look that long." Well, you each you read to, to, doing it properly, doing it by the directions that the author asks you to do it. You spend about thirty days on each scroll. Mm-hmm. And you read it three times throughout the day, basically every day after you rise, sometime after your midday meal, mm-hmm. and right before bed. And it asks you right before bed to read it out loud. Yes. By the way, there is something about saying the same thing over your, yourself or reading the same thing over to yourself three times a day for 30 days and every night out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I pretty much did this. Now I will say there was a few days here and there I didn't read it every all three times or something. Yeah, but I spend uh, the whole time. And uh, so anyway, but I remember when you first told me about this, I was like, "That's an investment I am not ready for right now." So it uh-huh. probably took me six months to a year after you first told me about it to say, "You know what? I think I'm ready." You know when I was ready it was actually after I launched Fearless Journeys. I launched That's it in good time. June of 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, I was living in Guatemala between about March and May. Came back to the U.S. for about six weeks, and it was during those six weeks that I maybe had the ship to me or ordered or something. And it was a brand spanking new book, folks. Yeah, look at that. This now. sucker is beat up because this thing <laughs> goes everywhere. It went everywhere. It went yeah. in my backpack. It went to the university. It went to El Salvador. It went to wherever the heck I went. Um, and so, uh, anyway, I really appreciate it, uh, because yeah, having this, like basically a mantra yeah, every day, di- every work. day, it's, yeah. it's a mantra. And you know, what's interesting is when you, when you finally get to the point where you read something or you are doing some kind of activity, like a mantra, yeah. all of a sudden you start hearing other people talk about their mantra. I'm thinking of a guy that we had dinner with. In Guatemala, Chef Jake. Ah, uh, Chef Jake. Who Memorable I had guy. on episode 101. Yes. Right? My first episode filmed in Guatemala. And before I had him on the podcast, you know, I had met him. We, we kind of met through kind of a, a new friend I had made in Guatemala. Um, and anyway, got to talking to him, sat down, had a cigar with him one time at his restaurant in the middle of the day, like outside, had a little meal with him. And I would just have these like one-on-one conversations like... By the way, he's a pretty well-known guy in Guatemala City. He's from the U.S., so it was kind of cool to be able to just sit down with this guy whose like, face is on his logo, right? It's yeah. pretty pretty funny. But then to see, hear him, it was very surprising to me to hear him talk about how he starts his day. And he says, oh, I wake up about 4 in the morning. I'm like, this guy wakes up at 4 in the morning? Because he kind of looks like a night owl to me. Yeah. Um, well, he says, you know, I got I to gotta get up in the morning. I have coffee. I have my mantra work. Mm-hmm. I do my meditation, um, and I was—I mean, he spends about two hours with himself, reading coffee meditation mantras. And by the way, he mentioned Ogmandino to me. Oh, really? Yeah, he mentioned Ogmandino to me, and I was like, while I was reading it, and That's I wild. and anyway, it was without—he didn't even know I was reading it, so it was really funny. Um, but anyway, but I thought this is why this. This person, and this is why I've had this podcast, because I'm like, I'm like all these entrepreneurial people that are successful in their own ways, they've got their things, their habits, their mantras, their, their space they've carved out. I can think mm-hmm. of my friend Dan Lesniak, who's 
right about my age, maybe a year or two younger, who told me 10 years ago, maybe it was six or seven years ago on this podcast, how he wakes up, you know, at five, four or five in the morning and has about two hours to do all his stuff, whether it's running that he was training for an Ironman or whether it was meditation or like whatever, doesn't check his email. So anyway, there's a reason that Ogmandino has identified certain traits and certain ways of thinking and living um, and he's put them just so almost perfectly in this book. Poetically, so I've too. talked about it. I want to hear you talk about it now. Yeah, I mean, that book changed my life. Um, I look at it with such love and fondness, uh, even a copy that isn't even mine, you know. spent a lot of time between those covers. And, you know, I originally came across this book because I was listening to uh, Matthew McConaughey being interviewed on Tim Ferriss's podcast. And he talks about, in that interview, about how this book changed his life fundamentally. Uh, And he read this book, he just picked it up on a buddy, it was on his buddy's nightstand while he was in college at UT Austin. And, uh, you know, asked his buddy, hey, can I borrow this? It's pretty Hmm. interesting looking. And he was like, take it. And then he spent the next 10 months on it, and at the end of that, he decided that he was gonna become an actor. Hmm. And he said that he reads it again. He repeats the experience every 10 years. And so when I heard him say that, I was like, I need to check this book out. Matthew McConaughey gives it more credit for his life course than he gives himself. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I got into it. And I, as I read it and began talking about it with people, you start to realize something, which is a lot of people know about this book. Many of them have even read this book a very tiny percentage of them have read it as prescribed, which is start at scroll run one, three times a day for 30 days. Don't go on to the next scroll until you're done with that. And then you go on to the next scroll. It should take at least 10 months if you and, do and it. And I gotta say, there were times where I missed a couple days yeah, or this or that, that I ended up spending, I, w- I actually wouldn't, I would try to do it like my 30 days yeah. a month, like the month of March is gonna be whatever. But there were times I was like, I'm not moving on. I'm not ready to move on. Like I have, yeah, you right? get really attached to yeah, some of I, these. I need to, I need to really spend more time with this scroll. It can be kind of bittersweet at times. Like when you're mm-hmm. on day 28 or 29, and you're like, I'm not ready to leave these words behind. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and I remember, I think I was talking to you because I was maybe seven or eight months ahead of you on it. So you're on scroll two, and I was at the <laughs> end. And I told you I was like, when I finish these 30 days i don't even know how i'm going to start my mornings like this has become such an integral part of my morning routine which you know i already place a lot of weight in my morning rituals every day uh very similar to chef jake but this book it shifts it shifts so many things for you and for anyone who hasn't gotten into mantra work which is essentially what this is you know your mind is just babbling all day long and talking. Most of it is just being shouted at you. You're not even thinking it. It's just, it's like a, a madman or like a child, like just up there. And so giving this mantra is like, or and putting these mantras in your head is basically replacing all of that filler, all of that babbling mm-hmm. with something that's healthy and productive. So, you know, a lot of people like to use this analogy of, you know, you have like this monkey brain that just does whatever it wants all day long. And so having a mantra like this and having a, a ritual where you're returning to it over and over and over every day puts you in the position where you're basically telling that monkey to 
You're like, okay, well, I know you're going to be a monkey, but go climb that coconut, go climb that tree, <laughs> get a coconut, come back down, give me the coconut and then climb the tree again. You know, and you're like training your mind to leave the more useless chatter by the side and replace it with stuff that's more beneficial. I'm curious. I know my answer for this, but I'm curious what scroll made the deepest personal impact on you or the one that you think about the most now. It's really tough because like you said, like they're very, they're each very powerful. Like they're each almost very essential. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I was actually going to mention to you while I was sitting there listening, I could remember where, I mean, I was outside Jake's restaurant at one of the little tables with him in like the middle of the afternoon or something. We're talking. And so uh, he's telling me, and by the way, in the, while we're talking, I had been in the middle maybe for a couple of weeks at this point of yeah. the scroll. Uh, it's the scroll mark two. Yes. Uh, the, uh, I will greet this day with love in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I, so this is interesting because this book is called The Greatest Salesman in the World. And when people see me reading it, they think, Some people laugh and joke, oh, is that a book about me? You know, like about themselves. (laughs) Um, And they really do. Can can you talk about why you think it's named the greatest salesman in the world? I think it's named the greatest salesman in the world probably because they had to sell it. Uh, You know, and like, and a a title like that is going to catch people's interest. And they're curious. They want to find out who the greatest salesman in the world is. And mm. at the end of the book, you realize that, well, you've become the greatest. That's, that's kind of the trick is at the end of it, you're like, oh, wait, I'm the greatest salesman in the world. Uh, But, you know, yeah, it's really a mantra of mindset and belief and confidence. And And it has nothing to do. Very little of it has anything to do with sales. Like there are some passages where it'll talk about, mindset when you're in the marketplace and right. talking to people about what you sell. But most of it is how to treat yourself and how to treat the people around you and how to look at the world in a more skillful way um, and bring balance to your life. So I'm listening uh, to, I'm talking to, to Jake who has this really successful business and you know he's been there yeah. in Guatemala since like 1983. And while I was also reading these scrolls that month, on love, the one on love. And he then starts to talk to me about, well, you know, he's very pro-capitalism. Yeah. He's very, um, you know, he's one of the very few restaurants in all of Guatemala that does not put uh, the request. So basically everybody, when you go to Guatemala and you go and you get your check, there's an automatic 10% gratuity which is kind of nice because it's just there and it's just, you know, I guess you could take it off technically, right? But it's added into your bill. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even add it. He doesn't, which is crazy because, you know, in some ways, since so many people in that culture expect that the tip is already included, they may not actually add anything else. But he says, I, so I said, well, what's going on here? Like, what do you get a lot of people that just maybe they didn't realize it wasn't added? And they go, he goes, no, most people here, they figure it out or they know. Mm-hmm. And he goes, here's the thing, though. When you work for gratuity, you work for it. Um, and he goes, I t-, he also says, and look, I love the Guatemalan people. Uh, and and um, I think they're like the nicest, most hospitable people in the world. We'll say this over and over. But one thing that I've gotten consistently from people is, um, when they come to visit, say, from the U.S. In the U.S., you expect people 
you know, to be really great uh, with their service uh, in restaurants, particularly. And most of that is because they're working by tips. Mm-hmm. And most of the rest of the world is not. It's not just Guatemala. It's, it's like Europe. It's Asia. It's all these places. So people often see a drop in the service. Yes. Not at Jake's restaurant. At Jake's restaurant, you're going to get like some of the best service. They're going to constantly come over and ask you what you need. See, you know, they're they're just they're so good. And it he's great. Yeah. He says though he goes Francisco. I have had to take a lot of time to train people. Mm. But also, he started talking about how he treats his employees. He treats them very professionally. He pays them well. During COVID, he took care of some of them that had uh, gotten ill with COVID. He gave me an example of a woman who worked for him, you know, that got cancer or something and, like, took care of her hospital bills, all these things. And he just went on and on and on. And it was, he wasn't, like, bragging on himself. He were just, we were just having a nice conversation. And I'm like, this man treats people with love. He greets each day with love in his heart. Yeah. And, and, I mean, I was just listening to, to this, and I actually went back, and uh, I was so inspired by what I heard and I could actually hear Ahmed Dino like coming out of him without him realizing yes. it. And I went and I wrote a blog post, which is actually, if you go to the fearlessjourneys.org website and you go to the Innovate page, mm-hmm. there is a blog there that says, I will greet each day with love in my heart or something like that. I love it. And I thought to myself, one of the things Ahmed Dino taught me and Jake inspired me as I was listening to him was, you know, we forget. But as entrepreneurs, um, uh, entrepreneurs must have love in their heart. Um, and that love might be for what our friend Steve Cesari told me on the podcast we had on, I think, episode 113 not too long ago. He was talking about how you have to be passionate. Mm-hmm. You have to really be like inspired and passionate about whatever you do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one part of the love, but also the love is how you treat people, whether it's your employees, uh, whether it's your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, that will come back to you. And that's the whole point, I think, of this book, too, is like what you put out into the world will also come back to you. Yeah. And, you know, Jake actually talked about that concept, too. Um, how did he talk about that? Um, anyway, I, um, he, I, I, he was so – it was funny. I was so inspired by just like this little conversation I had with him. Yeah. I said, can you come speak to my students? <laughs> uh, they need to hear this. And, um, and he actually did. He came into my classroom yeah. and had a little conversation. And that was before I even had him on the podcast. And I actually have to thank my students because they asked him such great questions. I was in the back writing these questions down going, I mean, he's an interesting guy. When I met him, I had a lot of questions too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But when you start to realize that uh, this is what it, this is what really the great people do. They have these mantras. They have this mindset. So what I try to do, and I think what we were, you know, we help, you help me build with Fearless Journeys is it's not just about helping people become entrepreneurs because Sometimes people hear, oh, fearless journeys. Francisco wants me to leave my job and start a new company. You know, maybe that might be in it for you, but actually most people probably shouldn't do that because it's really (laughs) difficult. Um, And even whether you're going to do that or not, what's really great is if you can build an entrepreneurial mindset. And Carter, I got to tell you, I want to thank you for this book recommendation because there's probably no greater book to help you build a mindset than uh, The Greatest Salesman in the World by Ogmandino. Wow. Yeah. It's, and um, it's achieved your top place, huh? Yeah, well. For a long time you loved Atomic Habits. Well, well hold on. We're going to get one. to this. Okay. This is a very cha- – this, this is a small book. It's not hard. It's not, you know, 
it's very easy to read five pages, but but you know to do it to be disciplined, mm-hmm. and I think that's scroll one, right? Discipline, discipline. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's what that that's that whole the whole concept of this book is discipline and persistence. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the key. That's what I was talking about. Like I've talked to at least fifteen people who, when I brought up the book, they said, "Oh, I read that." And when, when they said that, they just meant I read it cover to cover yeah. one time and put it down. Like I read it in an hour and a half, one afternoon a while ago, and it was nice. <laughs> but, yeah, you could read it in a day. It's but so it's, yeah. it's less but about the words even and even mm-hmm. these mantras and more about proving to yourself that you can show up for no one else but show up for you every day. Mm-hmm. For 10 months, most people can't work on anything for 10 mm-hmm. months straight. A lot of people can't even work on something for 10 days straight. They start a new side project, and it's over in a heartbeat. Like you said, most podcasts don't even make it to episode 10. You know, what's really funny is I look at my copy of my pages here that are pretty well worn. Early in the book, I think in the first scroll, I do what I do in a lot of books. I started underlining lines. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I stopped doing that. I think when I got to scroll two, I wasn't even doing it on scroll two because I was like, you almost remember these lines. Mm -hmm. You can, I mean, I will greet this day with love in my heart. That is in that scroll like probably 10 times, Yeah, you know, and and you could almost remember the paragraphs uh, if you do it, you know, when you're you're in the midst of the scroll. But the idea is it's training your brain. And again, whether it's this book or something else, I really think it's important for people to train their brain. Speaking of, you mentioned one of my favorite books. Atomic Habits. And I know it's one of your favorite books. Yes, it's also, I think, it's James probably Clear. one of both of our t- most recommended books. Yeah. Um, yeah, usually there are two books that I recommend to just about everybody, and Atomic Habits is one of them. And the other one I know that you have not read yet, even though I've recommended it to you many times. The Lean Startup? No, not The Lean uh, Startup. I wouldn't recommend that to everybody. Yeah. Just to, that is important for you. But the book Breath by James oh, Nestor. Yeah. Let's talk about this because I know yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you was I could talk breathing. about this for a long time. Yeah. Everybody, I know you're listening. <laughs> this has been a little lengthy of a podcast, but Carter, should we have a deep breath? Deep in the nose, slow through the mouth. All right, now okay. one more. But I just wanted everybody to take a deep breath because we're going to be going here a little more. One more. We're going to do deep through the nose, but this time I want you to exhale as if you're blowing through a straw and see how long you can extend that exhale. So let's do that real quick. Don't hold your breath. Is that what you're doing? I let it go. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, the number one thing, I guess, where to start. Uh, your body creates energy in two ways. Everybody thinks about food and calories, but that's actually the secondary way that your body creates energy. That's called anaerobic energy. It creates the number one way your body creates energy is through the breath. That's the primary way that your body fuels itself. Most people have never spent any time thinking about how to breathe better, except maybe beyond the fact someone might have told you when you were a kid, breathe in through your nose. And that is a great place to start. Many people don't even do that. And you can see it, in fact, in their anatomical structure on their faces. Mm. People who breathe through their mouths as opposed to their nose have structurally different faces. Their jaw lines begin to recede. Their mouth cavity opens and gets... Um, more voluminous and their nose actually begins to shrink Hmm. um, over time. And so 
This book applies to absolutely everyone, which What's is the name why of the book again? It's just called Breath, Breath by James Nestor. Breath, the new science of a l- ancient art, or maybe of a lost art, of a lost art. Um, and when I read this book, it changed me permanently. I've now read it twice, and I probably would have read it three times if I hadn't given my copy away to another entrepreneur who I've yet to receive it back from. But this is just one of those books that I buy a new copy of all the time because I give it away all the time. I gave this book to my brother-in-law, who is a professor of neuroscience and has suffered from chronic asthma his entire life, hitting an inhaler four to five times a day. He read this book and hasn't used his inhaler one time since. Wow. You start to realize that your body, you know, we do so much. Well, I guess the number one thing, if I were to sum everything up into one actionable piece of advice or one bit of knowledge is that stop holding your breath. Everybody goes through most of the day stressed up, pent up, and they're holding their breath all the time. And if you start paying attention to this, you can even look at people and know when they're holding their breath. You see them not breathing, their body's a little tense. And when you do that, it elevates your heart rate and puts you into a state of panic. And this is why everybody's walking around so anxious all the time because they're doing shallow breaths all day, like putting themselves into a point of hyperventilation and anxiety. Like your body thinks it's in flight or flight mode and it's Mm. in danger. And then people are holding their breath whenever they need to do something complicated. You know, you see people all the time, especially like if they're lifting, like in the gym, you know, like they're (laughs) straining and you can just tilt. They're holding their breath the whole time and they're probably going to pull something or hurt themselves. Uh, Breathing can do so many things. It can relax you. It can clear your mind. It can energize you. The number one way to connect to your body is through your breath. And I spend just about every morning before I meditate, I spend about 10 to 15 minutes just doing breath work every day. And it really helps clear my brain fog and gives you energy. That's great. And so would you say is, uh, so I know you you also like things like yoga and meditation. And is that, is the breath work incorporated in that in some way? Or is it just like something additional to it? Yeah, I mean, the breath, once you start focusing on it, and it touches every aspect of your life. And if you do have a good yoga instructor, they do bring you to your breath a lot. Um, but many of them also have like a pretty limited knowledge about the breath. This book, I'm telling you, if you're listening to this, please just buy the book. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it's I have on no my, stake it's on my in list. this. I get no revenue from this at all, but please just get it. It'll change your life. And uh, I guarantee that if my dad is listening to this podcast, <laughs> the book, he'll, he'll be asking me, can you please order that book for me on Amazon? Because uh, <laughs> I know this is like the kind of stuff he, he would love to, to get into. Yeah. But no, I think you're right. And you've, you've talked about it. There's, um, you know, breathing through your nose. And a lot of people also breathe through their mouth. I'm probably doing it all the time. You do but, it all the time and you're not thinking about it. And when you're mindful of how you're breathing you're also mindful of what you're doing and what you're thinking and so it's this key this tool and that's why it's such a big part of also meditation is because a Mm. lot of it begins with the breath because it is something that can be done on autopilot or can be done mindfully right you're not going to stop breathing just because you stop thinking about it but 
when you do focus in on your breath and learn to breathe in a way that fills you with better feelings and just mm. makes you more at ease. If you can learn, if you can train yourself to breathe in a way that makes you happy, like I have a couple of different breaths that I've learned how to use. There's a breath that I can use that if I breathe that breath about five times, I will become happy. And that's a wild superpower to be able to like hack your own mental and emotional yeah. state that way. But getting in touch with your breath, it's the gateway between your mind and your body. Well, I know for years I've heard people say things like, hey, if you're stressed or if you're angry or if maybe some negative words towards someone else are about to come out of your mouth, yeah, pause and take a breath. Yeah, take a deep breath and count to 10. Yeah, and if, and if you do that, you'll settle down. Those angry words probably won't come out of your mouth. You'll probably save a lot of strife, mm-hmm. a lot of stress. And anyway, so that seems like that is probably true because of what you're saying is probably true. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten to the point now with some of this breath work where I can raise my, or I can lower my heart rate about like 30 beats per minute and 30 seconds. Wow. Breathing. Like I can raise and elevate or raise and lower my heart rate almost at will just by breathing. You don't realize how much it impacts. So if your you're, day. if you're someone who is an entrepreneur or you're trying to build an entrepreneur mindset, Give us the, like, why the, why getting control of your breath work is important. Well, one, I mean, more energy, right? And I'm, one of the top things that people f- complain about in modern day is brain fog, right? And, like, burnout, especially with entrepreneurs. You hear that all the time. They start, you know, dealing with stress in unproductive ways and unsustainable ways over time. And so... If you're able to maintain a mindful, pleasant, nourishing breath throughout the day, you can take yourself from that point of feeling burnt out and just close your eyes and breathe for a minute. And those feelings dissipate because you learn to breathe breaths that create certain kinds of feelings in you. So this is invaluable for any entrepreneur. There's one particular breath technique that you might have heard of. I know I talked about it with, um, man, I can't remember right now. It was someone on your uh, on one of your coaching calls. Oh, yeah. So I know it was probably Shannon Slevin. No, no, no it wasn't Shannon Slevin. Um, Amy? It was, Gearhart? No, it, was, it wasn't Amy. It was... Uh, Matt Thomas? Chris. He was a musical artist. He's in Ohio. Oh, J.D. Iker. J.D. Iker. Yeah, yes, J.D. Right. and I were talking about this on the coaching call with that's right. Journeys. That's right. Uh, the Wim Hof method, because he was talking about, because I asked him, you know, what techniques does he use in the morning to help him get focused before a writing or creative session? Mm. And he talked about how important it is, the breath, because, mm. look, when your mind is moving a mile a minute, it becomes hard to do anything. You get that like analysis paralysis, right? And the ability to slow down, ground yourself in the moment and pour all of your mind onto the single task at hand is an incredible skill. You know, I saw someone on LinkedIn a couple of, like a month ago that said, um, communication is the number one skill that you can learn in life. Agree or disagree? (laughs) And at first I was like, yeah, I mean, no brainer. Communication is the, is the number one skill if you had to drill it down into that. But as I thought about it some more, I said, you know, I actually disagree. I think the number one skill you can learn in life is concentration. Mm. 
because concentration, getting a plus one, like if we're thinking about it, it's like a video game with all your stats, you know, a plus one in concentration is a plus one in every category because it applies to everything all the time. Yeah. And who cares how good, who cares if you can communicate if you can't concentrate on what you're saying or being clear about it all. I love that quote. Who cares if you can't, if you can't, can't who cares <laughs> if you can communicate if you can't concentrate? That's great. You know, like you have to be able I to I couldn't focus. concentrate on it. <laughs> yeah. And so just thinking about your breath, it's a great tool for focus. And, you know, myself, like I have, I was diagnosed with ADHD like pretty early in life and, you know, was using prescription medication for quite a while for, you know, about 12 years straight. And earlier this year, I actually got off all of that medication completely mm -hmm. um, in February. And this was a huge thing for me personally. And a huge part of why I was able to do that is because of all of this breath work and meditation, because you don't realize like as a kid coming up in school, people just talk about concentrate, you know, and it's just something you do or don't do. No one really talks about concentration as a skill right? that you can build over time and that there are functional ways to increase your abilities to concentrate well, and be able to concentrate in greater depth for longer periods of time. Um, and even, you know, certain exercises that you can go through to bring yourself to concentrate on a particular issue. Yeah. You know, right now, Carter, too, like, where are we are in, in our culture and society and uh we're all so distracted all the time yeah i mean everything is is programmed to distract us mm -hmm. you know our phones our computers you know whatever social media site we need to be on or posting on or like yeah. whatever um and your so attention is the commodity and, and let me tell you as somebody who's been a teacher now in a college classroom yeah. um you know i I can see that, you know, and so I think uh, what's great about these devices we have now, I mean, we we have access to so much, right? Mm -hmm. I, can, I can pull up any book that's ever been written or published in the world uh, in, within less than 30 seconds, and I have it right here on my tablet. I could read it right now, yeah. right? There's so much great things, but we these things also uh, are so distracting. And in fact, sometimes, and we've all been there, <laughs> Uh, you could be sitting there watching a television program and be on your phone at the same time yeah. and be texting somebody and be on whatever you're doing on your phone, Facebook, whatever. Um, so what's great about these phones though as well and these distractions or these uh, devices is they now have all the, they, they understand the, uh, we, can yes. put, we can put them on do not disturb. They finally rolled out all these features <laughs> yeah. just a couple of months ago. I know that like all the texting you and I've done over the past couple of days, we both are just, it always says yeah. the, the other person is not do not disturb mode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's so vital. I mean, your attention is the commodity. There are so many distractions in the world. And ultimately what concentration is, if you think about it, it's saying no, right? Because to say yes to one thing, you have to say no to a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to concentrate on one thing is less about your connection with that thing and more about your ability to actively recognize when something is asking for your attention, whether that's inside an internal distraction or an external distraction, recognize as quickly as possible and say no to it and return to the task at hand. That's really what concentration is, is saying no. 
Yeah, for sure. Well, um, this has been a really fantastic uh, conversation, Carter. One of the last things I wanted to uh, to talk about was uh, something else. So we we've talked about, uh, you know, breathing, breath work, yes, concentration, books. Uh, you said meditation and mm-hmm. mantras, and obviously everything Agile Brand Lab is doing. Yeah. But also, you and I share another passion, and that is travel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was super excited that um, you came on um, the last Fearless Journeys group trip to oh, uh, amazing to experience. Guatemala. Yeah, and I know you've you've tra- so uh, first of all, yeah, let's start with with that experience. Um, how did you, how did you like Guatemala? Oh, Guatemala was amazing. I talk about it all the time. <laughs> uh, and you just it, went in April. <laughs> yeah, I, I just went a couple of months ago, and uh, you know I. I had big hopes for the trip and all of them were blasted out of the water. I made some truly like lifelong friends and lifelong connections on that. And, you know, outside of just the country of Guatemala, those connections, that's really what makes fearless journeys from my eyes really unique in the world. You know, the ability to go on these trips as an entrepreneur and meet and travel with fellow entrepreneurs and then also meet these other entrepreneurs in this far in this place you wouldn't go otherwise meet all these people you wouldn't meet otherwise in a setting within like a structure where you can actually connect with them on a meaningful level and network is incredible and you just can't get that anywhere else i don't think anyone else out there does that and the amazing thing about it too is that you know it's someplace you wouldn't go otherwise people you wouldn't ever meet otherwise valuable business connections you know all the perspective altering stuff that comes with travel but also at the end of it you can write it off as a business expense because you are doing it for the business and it's not even like some sleight of hand like we had direct business opportunities that came as a result of that. It was absolutely a great investment and an amazing time, way to spend a week. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of fun, too. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, ate well, right? Oh, we ate so well. <laughs> so uh, you guys even found uh, a yoga forest, right? Oh, man, yeah. The yoga forest is a very special place. And yeah. Lake Atitlan, I mean, you know, it's so beautiful there. And Guatemala is an amazing country. I think it's the most volcanic country on, in the world. Yeah. They had, like, 24 26 volcanoes in this tiny little country and you really also you know you underestimate how close it is it it sounds like it's further away than it is but flying out of atlanta i could get to guatemala faster than i could get to denver yeah yeah, it's you know? like two and a half, maybe yeah, three hours. Yeah, it's like two and a half hours. Yeah, that's Amazing. great. So uh, you had a great experience. Uh, first of all, it was also special for me to have you there because I said, Carter, like, and I really say this uh, with a lot of meaning. Fearless Journeys would not be possible without this man right here because we he really, I mean, the whole, and I'm not even talking about just the name of the company, like the entire concept, he unleashed my passion and maybe my gifts and my talents and, and connecting that with, with what maybe people are looking for or need or don't know they're looking for yet. Um, and, and anyway, uh, part of what Fearless Journeys does is these group trips that you just really eloquently described. I, <laughs> that's what I go for when I'm trying to put something together and hope that the experience that you just described, I hope that that's what people have. Yeah. And, um, and so that's awesome. Um, 
And so it was really nice to actually have you there because I was like, well, you know, like this is something we envisioned, but we kind of like didn't know we were envisioning it before like we envisioned it. Yeah, it and, was very real all of a sudden. Yeah, and also it was like, boom, this is Fearless Journeys and you're here and it wouldn't have happened without you. So I was glad you were able to be there. Um, I was also, you know, I'm the kind of person, I didn't even understand this until I was in one of your sessions. I mean, I know that I'm a connector. Like I know I'm the kind of person that always likes to introduce people, connect people, all these sorts of things. Yes. But until I had you and other people that were in that session, like my friend, Kevin Scott, who is doing a crazy, amazing things as an entrepreneur. I had him on this podcast mm -hmm. and for him to sit there in the room and tell me, you know, Francisco, uh, when I want to get connected with someone in the world, you're like one of the top two or three people I call to, <laughs> because you yeah. probably know how to connect me to that person. And I was like, what, really? Mm -hmm. um, so you guys really also tried to tell me that one of the great things that Fearless Journeys could have in the community is this ability to connect people. So what was cool was that I got pretty well connected in Guatemala through my teaching and all my other activities and things I'm doing to basically see people that I had forged friendships with yeah, now yeah. become like close friends with, with you. Uh -huh. uh, and so um, that was super cool yeah. to see that. And um, anyway, so that gives me a lot of joy when I can connect people and see friendships blossom, mm -hmm. maybe business relationships blossom, things yeah. like that. Literally earlier today, I was uh, talking, exchanging messages with Julian, that yeah. the architect from Guatemala City that you introduced us to. And you know, I think Julian's going to be a lifelong friend. My partner Ashlyn and I have a, a life dream that we want Julian to design and build us a house on Lake Atitlan one day. Can I be in the neighborhood? Um, yeah, you can come on by. You know, we'll have a few guest rooms. Yeah, I so. mean, I actually stayed. I think uh, I think you went by Julian's house. Yes. Uh, I we stayed there once it, but. on Lake Atitlan. Uh -huh. And it's funny. I think as I was leaving Guatemala the last time, I like texted him like, hey, Julian. <laughs> How much is your house rent for? <laughs> yes, I love it so much, and it's a, and he designed it, and it's a great location. It's right not far from Hotel Atilan and the Atilan mm -hmm. Natural Reserve where we are. So anybody's looking for an Airbnb because I think he's got it up <laughs> on Airbnb. Um, awesome. If, as long as someone's not staying there long term, I think it's like a three bedroom house, really beautifully designed. But anyway, um, know, like Julian, he's a brilliant guy. Just yeah. like absolutely brilliant. He's one of. I mean, I'm a designer by trade. He's one of my favorite designers. Like, I think Julian is incredible at his job, and I think the world of him. And that's why, you know, one of my big goals is to get to the point where I can have him design and build me a house, you know. And he's someone that I talk with regularly and probably will until the day I die, and I would not have known him whatsoever or anyone else from that trip. And this is just one of many connections that yeah. I made on that trip, wouldn't have known any of them if not for Fearless Journeys and also would never have gone to Guatemala. Like it was not near the top of my list, but now I plan on returning to Guatemala many, many times because it's a very special place. That's awesome. Same here. Um, so I have two last questions that both relate to travel. Um, one is what's another great travel experience you've had that is maybe, maybe it's been formative to you. Hmm. Um, Two come to mind. One, I took a trip to India about three years ago. And I mean, India, if you haven't been, there's really no place quite like it in the world, just in terms of how sensory it is. You know, like all of the color, 
all of the sound, all of the smells, all of the textures, like everything there. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, you go to sleep and you almost want to be in like a, you know, like one of those uh, like isolation pods. Yeah, sensory deprivation <laughs> tank. But it was an amazing place. You know, I went and saw um, an ancient temple called Jagdish Temple. It's a Hindu temple that has been in a continuous state of worship 24-7 around the clock for over 900 years. That's amazing. Wild. And, you know, you just see things that are so old there that defy your understanding, especially coming from America where we're like, oh, something's really old when it's, you know, 200 years old. They're like, oh, this was built in, you know, 300 BC. And, and this is a fort that could still be defended today. It's amazing. And yeah. then the other, uh, in 2018, I went to Kyrgyzstan, which is in Central Asia, um, for the World Nomad Games, which is a really memorable, wild experience. The Kyrgyz people are amazing. It's a really interesting blend of folks there because everybody looks more or less Mongolian, but everybody speaks Russian, and everybody is Muslim. Hmm. But it's a totally, um, you know, like there's a great separation of church and state, and it's a very liberal democracy there. So, wow, that was that was just the most foreign. It just felt alien almost. So people speak Russian. They worship mostly Islam. Yes, they have a liberal democracy. Yes, separation of church and state in an Islamic culture. Yes, and what was the other thing? And they um, Mongolian. Look, they, they look. They like look Mongolian. Mongolian. That's like quite Asia. amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, what's an ideal travel experience that you'd like to have in the future? And maybe it's a fearless journey. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, listening to all people you know. now, including you. Well, a uh, couple of things on the list. Really want to go to Jordan mm. um, and do some hiking, backpacking, and rock climbing in Jordan. Since moving to Chattanooga, rock climbing has become one of my favorite pastimes, exercises, activities. So, And I've always loved to hike, so now I'm just looking for opportunities to do that while I'm abroad. And also I really, you know, now reaching the top of my list is Argentina, which I know that mm. we have discussed for a possible fearless yeah, journey. A trip. number of people have mentioned, Francisco, I want you to design a trip to Argentina. I yes. have not been. Let's do it. We, we got to go. I would absolutely yeah. go on a fearless journey trip to Argentina, um, especially if we spend, you know, make extra time to spend in Patagonia. Or we could just spend some time in Patagonia. Uh, yeah, Patagonia could be trip. like an option. Yeah, a little add-on maybe. Add on. But yeah, those are those. I've are had some people that also want me to, to take them to maybe the Mendoza wine country or something like mm -hmm. that. So. Yeah, I mean, a lot of amazing things to go. Yeah. And then probably the last bucket list that comes to mind, I really want to go to. Bolivia and see the salt flats in Bolivia. You know what? Have you seen these? I've only because you told oh, me. And yeah, I think I, I googled them and I was like, photo. "Whoa, yeah." It, it people talk about it as being like the gateway to heaven almost or something because it's just as far as you can see this just a few inches deep of salt water that is hmm. completely still surrounded by these mountains, you know, and it's incredibly high. Bolivia is one of the only landlocked countries in all of South America. Wow. And the sky is perfectly reflected in this water. Wow. And it just looks like a sheet of glass, almost like something from, you know, like Bruce Almighty or any of these other depictions, like Hollywood depictions yeah. of heaven. If they had the budget, they would have filmed it at the salt flats there. Interesting. All right. Well, those are some great things. 
Uh, last thing I actually, uh, because you just mentioned, I forgot to mention. Hit me. We are in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Yes. And uh, you moved Big here city. six, seven months ago? I moved here, gosh, I must have been, I guess, nine months ago now. Nine months. Yeah. Coming up on a year. Uh, I moved up here from Atlanta. A friend invited me to come visit after she had moved up here and said, Carter, I think you're going to love it so much. You're going you're gonna to want to move here. And, you know, I'd been to Chattanooga as a kid. And just kind of laughed at her at the time, but uh, came to visit. And I was like, this is an amazing little city. It has everything you want from a city. There's nothing that's missing, but nothing, you know, you can get anywhere in less than 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. There's never any traffic. The fastest internet in the world here. We can go from our house, drive, you know, 20, 25 minutes and be at five different waterfalls, two or three different swimming holes with like crystal clear, beautiful water. And the people are just so, so friendly. I love Chattanooga. I talk of, talk it up so much that I've even had a friend move here since I've moved here. He oh, moved wow. here from D.C. He fled as well. Well, you talk it up so much. Uh, I had been here two years ago to visit for a few days yeah. and had some other friends here that, that I was visiting. But um, yeah, you talked it up so much. I said, maybe I need to go spend like a month in Chattanooga. So I'm, I'm nearing the end of my month as we record this podcast. But you're right. I mean, this is an awesome city. First of all, it's also perfectly situated two hours from Atlanta, where mm -hmm. you're from, and two hours from Nashville. So if you need to get to those two big cities, two big airports, things like that, lots of business in those cities. Yeah. They're great cities as well. Very big, blooming, you know, growing cities. Mm -hmm. um, but if you really want something a little... It's, it's, there's a lot going on here in Chattanooga, so it's not like it's a small town. It's a small city, but it's got like, you know, one thing I've really liked, and you just mentioned, you know, by the way, we need to get to those waterfalls. Yeah, um, yeah. I always see Ashlyn posting about, uh, I just realized I have not been there, but anyway, um, nature is so integrated into like the urban environment here, I feel mm -hmm. like, and I've just been taking all these um, you know, just my normal morning walks or after dinner yeah. walks and just walking through uh, Coolidge Park or Renaissance Park and right by the bridges and the river. And it's just so beautiful. And I literally, I was telling you this the other day, like I was on one of these walks going, God, this is like the perfectly designed city in yeah. some ways. It's like, <laughs> you know, uh, it's like. I feel the same way sometimes. You've got plenty of like nice little foodie restaurants mm -hmm. and yeah. you've got you know, a nice business community, you, uh, but it's not like a large city with traffic. You it's know? so easy to meet people here. Everyone's so welcoming and inclusive. Um, and people are just genuinely really excited about where Chattanooga's going. Yeah. And, you know, talking about the nature that you were just speaking about, I've been in places like Atlanta has a lot of great nature too, but there's a different feel here, and I think – I haven't ever put this into words before, but it just kind of clicked into my head while you were saying that. And the difference is many of these other places, they have – you know, they kind of create these bastions of nature for you to experience. But in Chattanooga, it's not really created. It's just, like, preserved. Mm -hmm. Like, they just left it as is and then built around it. But, you know, I – sent you to Stringer's Ridge the other day, yeah. which is, they call awesome. it an urban wilderness. And there's sometimes on those trails where you feel like you could be hundred miles from any city. Yeah. You know, I was, I was walking through, I was five minutes into the trail and I was like, I, f 
I feel like I'm more than five minutes away from my car. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel like, uh, I can't, you know, describe it, but yeah. it's, you feel like you're that, in the back country all of a sudden that's right in the heart of North shore. It's like yeah. downtown basically. Yeah. It's cool. So it's a great city. And as you mentioned, the fastest internet in the world, and I'll tell you, I believe it. I, <laughs> one of the things I said I was going to do while I was here this month was I have a backlog of video content from my travels, from my podcast, from some of the fearless journeys sessions that we've done that I just wanted to get up on YouTube and mm -hmm. things like that. And so I've been scheduling some things out. So everybody isn't hit all at once with, you know, 20 new videos from Francisco this week. Um, but these videos are going up. So I'm telling you, a thing, something that takes me one to two hours to upload, like yeah. that size of a video, is taking me less than five minutes. That's amazing. I, and I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, well, Car Carter said this is how it was going to be. Yeah, I feel spoiled. Whenever I leave Chattanooga now, I get like a little stressed out. I'm always, you know, thinking, man, am I going to be able to do my work abroad. Like I, I kind of designed this business so that I could mostly do it from anywhere, but now I don't even really want to move or leave Chattanooga that often because I just get so used to it. You know, they guarantee you never experiencing any buffer time on streaming videos. Mm -hmm. You know, I just plug directly in with my ethernet cable and I can deploy a website that I just built in about three seconds. Wow. Which is wild. You know, yeah. even in Atlanta, when I had, uh, Google Fiber in Atlanta, that would still take at least 30, 45 seconds. Yeah. So it's, we're it's, so spoiled these days. Oh, but yeah. man. It's, but it's no, but I mean, to thing. be able to take these things really fast, it's it's great. And it's just, yeah, it just saves you time and you're more productive and you can go, you can go breathe after that. Yeah. You know, and that's really kind of the beauty of Chattanooga is there's so much nature. It's so easy to get away. But at the same time, you know, in so much space, but at the same time, you're so connected. Because yeah. there's this huge innovation hub here, you know, fastest internet in the world. Like you can go live on a mountaintop and not have anyone near you for a mile in any direction and then still get those internet speeds. It's pretty wild. That's great. Well, um, you know, Chattanooga for a long time has been known as a place that connected people to other places. The Chattanooga yes. Choo Choo, right? Choo -choo. You got the museum here and the hotel. You can sleep in a train car and uh -huh. all that. And now I feel like Chattanooga's like got this rebirth, mm -hmm. this like renaissance of Chattanooga. By the way, my mom was born here. She, she when she was two years old, she moved her parent family moved to Florida, uh, and they never looked back. But uh, this is the perfect place for a connector like you. This yeah, is the, the city that connects, and you're the ultimate connector. Well, this is know? this is a place that is experiencing renaissance. It's, it's I, you know, by the way, if you like mountains, if you like water, it's great. It's you know, I always get as somebody from Florida. I have the struggle of like, do I want beach or do I want mountains, right? And uh, and California, the first of all, it's too expensive, but it's it's you do have mountains and you do have beach, mm -hmm. but the, but the water's freezing, you know. So uh, like, yeah, that's so, true. But anyway, uh, but and I don't know. Mountains like have really grown beach. on me over the years, yeah. especially. I mean, I loved seeing that in in uh, Guatemala, but uh, yeah, you know, I will say this, Carter. Um, I love Florida, as you know. Uh, but I was actually thinking the other day, you know, if I didn't live in Florida and if I didn't live in Guatemala, man, I'll tell you what, Chattanooga would be top five. So I think it's a great place. And I really tell people, come visit here if you haven't. Um, and, you know, maybe if you're looking for some places to stretch out a little bit, your dollar probably goes a little further here on the real estate market, even though yes, that's... It does. I'm sure people are moving. I can see that there's development happening here. There's a lot of development. It's blowing up quickly. But yeah, but I mean, compared to a place like Nashville or Atlanta... Oh. 
Incomparable. It's still a lot quieter here and, uh, and not growing that much. But anyway, I'm, I'm glad to visit you here in Chattanooga. Um, I want to thank you for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. I can still visually see you walking into my office that day, I don't know, eight or ten years ago, whatever that was, as an intern, uh, applicant, interviewee, and it's amazing to have seen your fearless journey um, and also that you inspired my journey. So I really thank you for that. Not just inspired it, you helped structure it. <laughs> we built so, it, baby. So, uh, so it's really awesome to have yeah. you. And I want to say thank you for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. And thank you for being an agent of innovation. Well, thank you so much for having me, Francisco. You know, it, we've had a very special relationship and you've provided a lot of just fuel and assistance to me throughout my career spanning back to you know 10 years ago when i walked into that office so i want to turn the gratitude and the thanks back to you and uh you know i guess if i can leave everyone with one last thought it's stop holding your breath and start using simpler more clear language to describe what you do and just everything you know like Communicate easily. Use words that you hear every day. Um, and uh, keep a smile on your face. You know, it makes <laughs> well, Carter easier. always has a smile on his face. So <laughs> thank you so much, Carter, for being on the Agents of Innovation uh, podcast. Thanks, Francisco. It was a great time. <laughs>